Section 35 of Bits About Tone Matters by Helen Hunt Jackson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 35. Spiritual Teething. Milk for babes. But when they come to the age for meat of doctrine, teeth must be cut. It is harder work for souls than for bodies, but the processes are wonderfully parallel. The results, too, alas. If clergymen knew the symptoms of spiritual disease and death, as well as doctors do of disease and death of the flesh, and if the lists were published at the end of each year and month and week, what a record would be shown! Mortality in Brooklyn or New York or Philadelphia for the week ending July 7th. We are so used to the curt heading of the little paragraph that our eye glances idly away from it, and we do not realise its sadness. By tens and by scores they have gone. The men, the women, the babies, in hundreds new mourners are going about the streets week by week. We are as familiar with black as with scarlet, with the hearse as with the pleasure carriage, and yet so dies in human hearts the thought of death that we can be merry. But if we knew as well the record of sick and dying and dead souls, our hearts would break. The air would be dark and stifling. We should be afraid to move, lest we might hasten the last hour of some neighbour's spiritual breath. Ah, how often we have unconsciously spoken the one word which was poison to his fever. Of the spiritual deaths, as of the physical, more than half take place in the period of teething. The more one thinks of the parallelism, the closer it looks, until the likeness seems as droll as dismal. Oh, the sweet, unquestioning infancy which takes its food from the nearest breast, which knows but three things, hunger and food and sleep. There is only a little space for this delight. In our seventh month we begin to be wretched, we drink our milk, but we are aware of a constant desire to bite, doubts which we do not know by name, needs for which there is no ready supply make us restless. Now comes the old school doctor and thrusts in his lancet too soon. We suffer, we bleed, we are supposed to be relieved. The tooth is said to be through. Through, oh yes, through before its time, through to no purpose. In a week or a year, the wounded flesh or soul has reasserted its right, shut down on the tooth, making a harder surface than ever, a cicatrized crust out of which it will take double time and double strength for the tooth to break. The gentle doctor gives us a rubber ring. It has a bad taste, or an ivory one. It is too hard and hurts us but we gnaw and gnaw and fancy the new pain a little easier to bear than the old. Probably the tooth gets through a little quicker for the days and nights of gnawing. But what a picture of patient misery is a baby with its rubber ring. Really one sees sometimes in the little puckered twisting face such grotesque prophecy of future conflicts, such likeness to the soul's processes of grappling with problems that it is uncanny. When we come to the analysis of the diseases incident to the teething period and the treatment of them, the similitude is as close. We have sharp, sudden inflammations. We have subtle and more deadly things which men do not detect till it is, in nine cases out of ten, too late to cure them. Like water on the brain, 
and we have slow wastings away, atrophies which are worse than death, leaving life enough to prolong death indefinitely, being as it were living deaths. We do not know poor souls in all stages of these. Outbreaks of rebellion against all forms, all creeds, all properties, secret adoptions of perilous delusions, fatal errors, and slow settling down into indifferentism or narrow dogmatism, the two worst living deaths. These are they who live. Shall we say anything of those of us who die between our seventh and eighteenth spiritual month? They never put on babies' tombstones died of teething. There is always a special name for the special symptom or set of symptoms which characterise the last days. But the mother believes, and the doctor knows that, if it had not been for the teeth that were coming just at that time, the fever or the croup would not have killed the child. Now we come to the treatments, and here again the parallelism is so close as to be ludicrous. The lancet and the rubber ring fail. We are still restless and scream and cry. Then our self-sacrificing nurses walk with us. They rock us. They swing us. They toss us up and down. They jounce us from top to bottom, till the wonder is that every organ in our bodies is not displaced. They beat on glass and tin and iron to distract our attention and drown out our noise by a bigger one. They shake back and forth before our eyes in all things that glitter and blaze. They shout and sing songs. The house and the neighbourhood are searched and racked for something which will amuse the baby. Then, when we will no longer be amused, and when all this restlessness outside and around us, added to the restlessness inside us, has driven us more than frantic, and the day or the night of their well-meant clamour is nearly over, their strength worn out, and their wits at end, then comes the soothing syrup, deadliest weapon of all. This we cannot resist. If there be they who are mighty enough to pour it down our throats, physically or spiritually, to sleep we must go, and asleep we must stay so long as the effect of the dose lasts. It is of this we oftenest die, not in a day or a year, but after many days and many years, when in some sharp crisis we need for our salvation the force which should have been developing in our infancy, the muscle or the nerve which should have been steadily growing strong till that moment. But the force is not there, the muscle is weak, the nerve paralysed, and we die at twenty of a light fever. We fall down at twenty under the sudden grief or temptation because of our long sleeps under soothing syrups when we were babies. Oh, good nurses and doctors of souls, let them cut their own teeth in the natural ways. Let them scream if they must, but keep you still on one side. Give them no false hopes. Let them alone so far as it is possible for love and sympathy to do so. Man is the only animal that has trouble from the growing of teeth in his body. It must be his own fault somehow that he has that, and he has evidently been always conscious of a likeness between this difficulty and perversion of a process natural to his body, and the difficulty and perversion of his getting sensible and just opinions, for it has passed into the immortality of a proverb that a shrewd man is a man who has cut his eye-teeth, and the four last teeth which we get late in life, and which cost many people days of real illness, are called in all tongues, all countries, wisdom teeth.
End of section 35